This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Darug people. We acknowledge their ongoing connection to the land, sky and waterways. We would like to extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening and to elders past, present and emerging. Hello fellow teachers and aspiring teachers. Welcome to Those Who Can't, the podcast where the teaching profession takes centre stage. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Kate Moore. And together we journey our way through the why, the how and the heart of teaching. From the nitty gritty of the industry to the profound joys of being an educator. We're here to explore the ins and outs of teaching and to help you reach your full potential. With stories from our own classroom experiences, insights into the evolving landscape of education and practical advice for both new and seasoned educators. Whether you're facing the challenges of the classroom or seeking inspiration for your teaching journey, we'll see what we can do. So join us as we explore the education industry. Welcome to Those Who Can't. Welcome back team, episode eight. And today we're talking about parents and working with parents. And um, I think it's a, a really important topic because I, I feel like, Kate, over the first few episodes, we maybe did a little bit of parent slamming and I need to walk that back a little bit. Well, look, would we call it parent slamming or would we call it opening new teachers' eyes to the reality of the profession? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe both. <laughs> I'm just going out there immediately and saying, I think this is a two-parter. Yeah, yeah, you might be right. I don't think we can cover it all in no, one. No, I think you're right about that. Mm. It's uh, I, I've actually been a little bit shocked over the last little while about how much, like how big a part of the job it's become. It, it's When I started, it was never this big a deal. I agree. It's huge. And I think for young teachers, my first thing to say would be, don't get in the mindset of us and them. Yes. Because... That's quite prevalent. That's become quite prevalent in schools. Mm-hmm. And you're really starting on the back foot if you do that because yep. you have to think of it as a team effort. And we'll talk more about it, but I, I'd say that would be my first thing. Don't let other people influence your thinking about parents because 99.9% of the time, parents are amazing to deal with. Yep. So why, why has working with parents become such a core part of the job? Because it wasn't always like this. What's changed? I think their expectations are higher. I think they want more for their money in terms of the servicing that they get. I think parents are time poor. You know, it's very rare, even in affluent areas, that you have a one-parent working family. Like, they're almost always two parents working. Mm -hmm. And... They don't have the time and energy to put into parenting that they would like to have. And I think that makes them sometimes feel a little bit, I suppose, guilty is the word. For for whatever reason, they they want to be spending more time with their kids. But just the demands and pressure of work and keeping afloat, especially in a city like Sydney, consume a lot of their energy and time. And I think they want to know that the place that they're kids are spending most of their days and you know great percentage of their life are doing the absolute best by them and I think we've also taken over the role of doing a lot of things that used to be in the parenting domain Mm. that now they're expecting schools to do I think the recent consent debate is one of those the indicators it's like what are schools doing about this that's the catch cry what are schools doing about this and I often want to say well what what are parents doing about this Mm -hmm. it it begins in the home but I think the fact that parents are so time poor 
means that we've got handed over a lot of the, the raising. I think parents have been repositioned as consumers of schooling. Um, and I don't think that was always the case. Like, I can think of a time when it was, there was more of a, a partnership uh, understanding between parents and schools. But parents do now definitely think of themselves as consumers, mm-hmm. having a lot of choice, being able to activate different decisions related to schools. Yep. And I think email has really opened things up. Like, it, it's a lot harder to call someone and express how upset you are or to... Uh, than it is to just shoot an email. Mm. I, I've received a lot of emails that I can tell have been written after a couple <laughs> of glasses of shardy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we all have those uh, keyboard warriors that get yeah, on yeah. the computer late at night after a couple of drinks and yep. express their outrage. And what, before we move further into dealing with parents, I'd like to say to all teachers out there, be you new or seasoned, do not check your emails after hours. Yeah. You should be supported in that by your management team, by your leadership team in the school, but it's not good for anybody. Yeah. And parents will get on and, and send those emails whenever they choose to, but that doesn't mean that you have to look at them. Mm. And all looking at them at late at night will do is upset you, give you a very sleepless night, and there's nothing you can do about it. So that would be my first tip in dealing with parents. Do not check your emails after hours, and not on weekends either. Yeah, no one's, no one's a winner if you're reading emails late at night. Yeah, and don't respond. Even if it's a colleague, don't respond late at night or on the weekend because that sets that expectation that you're constantly contactable. Yeah, you can make yourself more available than is reasonable. And Absolutely. I think a lot of teachers do that. And so you have to be really conscious not to. So let's, let's actually mm. make it really practical for people, Kate, and let's think about our main tips if you're a teacher, you're in the classroom, new or experienced, and you want to improve your position working with parents, what are some things we can do? Yeah, our listeners, thanks for your feedback, have told us that they love the practical tips and strategies, so we'll keep those coming for you. I think first and foremost, you have to listen. You have to listen. You have to give the parent the space and the time to vent, to offload whatever they want to say. And it's very tempting for us to cut them off or want to react to what they're saying. We might get our defences up. We might want to say that didn't happen or whatever the case. But what I've learned, and actually I have to say, Matt, I learned this from you. (laughs) And I don't know if I've said this in a previous podcast. I may have. But... Early on when we worked together and we had a difficult parent meeting um, and I was kind of taking notes but I was there and this parent was being what I considered very unreasonable (laughs) and my pen started scratching into the paper (laughs) going through more and more layers and you were just sitting there so calmly listening, letting this parent have their say, not interrupting, just going, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, when is Matt going to respond? This is outrageous <laughs> what this person's saying. Uh, but you taught me that. You taught me that they need their time to have to be heard and to say their piece and to bring up whatever is on their mind. And you're not going to help the situation by cutting them off or interrupting or immediately rushing to your defence mechanisms. I remember that meeting and <laughs> I, I know exactly the one you're talking about. And we got a good outcome there. And I think, We did. I think one of the, the reasons was... 
we did listen, like we listened, and they, they had some things they wanted to express. And once they had done that, all the emotion was gone. Yeah. All the emotion was gone because they'd had a chance to vent their spleen. Is that the expression? <laughs> I don't know what's, what, yeah, what their think, spleen's got to do no. with it. But. <laughs> I think that's an expression. Maybe I'm, I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, maybe I had a micro-sleep, but I think that is a real expression. Vent um, their spleen. But they, they had a chance to kind of let all of that out and then – um, we could start talking rational terms yeah. once that was all out. Yeah. And I, I remember <laughs> I remember looking at you and I could see you <laughs> scratching into the desk with your pen thinking, um, I, I have to hold this a bit longer. Like, are these people need more opportunity. I could see how worked up they are. I remember ne- thinking they, they need a chance to get all of this out. Yeah, and, and you could see how worked up I was. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> luckily, you took the uh, bigger picture view and thought, Kate can just chill there a minute while we get to this, this outcome that we need. And th- what you said is so true, Matt. The emotion and the real kind of, yeah, well, I suppose whatever it is, the anger, the, the sense of needing to be heard, once they've had that time, it's amazing how much it, it settles. Yeah, and... Uh, that that leads into my number one tip. Mm. So I think the best thing you can do as a teacher to is to sort of reframe the way you think about the parent's role mm. because parents see themselves as the number one advocate for their child and they should be. And yep. I think if we accept that as teachers and we anticipate that they're going to come in with that position, they're, in, they're advocating for their child, they're their, they're their child's agent, they're the one who's going to take that position, you... It allows you then to understand where the biases lay mm. and to um, take some of the emotion out. But also I think part of that is that we have to try as teachers not to oversimplify parenting in the way that we worry that parents oversimplify teaching mm. because parenting is super complex. Um, and I, I think I've, I've talked a lot on this podcast about how much we've stuffed up, uh, how much I've stuffed up in my classroom. <laughs> I tell you, I've stuffed up in my home as a parent plenty of times too. <laughs> and so I, I think there's, um, parenting can be really difficult and having a, an understanding that it's not an exact science, particularly when you're working with complex kids, kids with uh, complex learning profiles or behavioural profiles or emotional challenges. There's lots of things that, really influence how a parent comes in. So if you position that parent in your mind that they're going to be the advocate for their child and that you make yourself okay with that and you understand that from the start, I think it places you better, it puts you in a better place to be able to work with that parent. Absolutely. And just to view the fact that they want the best for their child is is so, so important to really keep that at the centre of everything you're thinking when you're listening to that parent get mm. get agitated or get angry with you it's not personal yeah it feels personal yeah but yeah. it's really them really wanting to be heard and wanting them to make sure you understand their child mm-hmm. so that that meeting that you referenced earlier with those parents who were really angry i remember the i remember how much emotion was in that meeting and I remember what they were trying to achieve from that meeting. They were, they were trying to make sure that there were more and more services for their child. And they were, when I think back on it, they were right to be that emotional because mm. it was a really uh, challenging part of that child's life. So 
I understand where that emotion came from. And I think one of the reasons we were successful in there was because they had an opportunity to vent that emotion, but also that we were able to then um, hold our position as professionals and talk through what we had in place. Absolutely. I think in any of those meetings, you always want to go in having at the front of your mind the fact that from the meeting you want to take a plan for moving forward. Yeah. And I think if parents leave a meeting feeling heard but also then feeling like there are things that you're going to put in place to to move forward, whether it be to correct something that hasn't worked well or to just put further supports around the child, as you say, they'll leave feeling confident in in your ability as a teacher. Yeah, but to outline some sort of practical moves and uh, identify the outcomes that you're working towards, that's really important. Yeah, yeah. My, My second tip is focusing on shared goals, okay? And I always, if I'm in a difficult conversation with a parent, there's often there's uh, things we disagree on mm. and it, a lot of it has to do with resourcing. That's, that's what I find is that uh, a lot of the time parents will feel that I, the school isn't resourcing support for their child as they should be or that, that's just an example. And I think one of the ways that you get those meetings back on track is to focus on shared goals, to identify what are the things that both you and the parents agree are important. And that might be making the child feel safe at school, making them feel engaged, helping them to build better relationships, whatever the challenge is, but agreeing that this is what we want for your child, this is what you want for your child. Mm. So there we are on the same team. Yeah. And, and establishing that, that sense of we're working together on this, we're not fighting each other. Absolutely. That makes a big difference. And the good thing is that we know now and it doesn't matter what the situation that parents and teachers want the same for that child yes which is to want to come to school to be learning to be thriving to be flourishing so it's not a hard leap to understand that you are actually on the same page and but just to reminding parents of that and reiterating that with them i want the very best for your child just as you do yeah and sometimes it's just a matter of articulating it because it can feel sometimes for from the parent's point of view that the school is looking for their path of least resistance or the easiest option or they're looking for... Um, that the school might be looking for the really the easiest solution to make the problem go away. Mm. And it's very, very rare that a school is thinking like that. I, I haven't come across many schools that don't care about kids. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> but you do have to remind parents that you value their, their, yes. their child and that... They're not being, they're not falling through the cracks. You do, you do see them, and which brings me to my second point, which would be, don't deny the the parents' view. Let yep. them vent, hear it, but don't don't get defensive. But also, don't deny their point of view. And we don't mean to do that, but we often want to correct what we see as a misrepresentation of what's going on for that child because we might see a very different kid in school yes. than the parents are seeing at home. And the parents might be saying, my child's being bullied. And teachers are very sensitive to that word. Yes, you know, they're yeah. very quick to go, oh, it's not bullying. Often it's not, but sometimes it is. Mm. And it doesn't really matter either way. If that's how the parent views it or the child views it, don't feel it's your imperative duty to have to correct them on that, to say, that's not bullying. That's not what we're seeing. Bullying, that's not bullying. Because there's a certain fear around that word, around mm. the word bullying. But... It's, it's not important in the grand scheme of things. And just remember 
that they see a different child at home, as I said. So if they're saying my daughter doesn't want to come to school or my son doesn't want to get out of the car in the mornings or whatever, you don't need to say, oh, well, when we see her at school, she's very happy. Oh, he's having a great time at school. That's not, that's not what we see. You can reflect back that once they arrive, they seem to be tracking quite well. But kids mask a lot of things during their day. Yeah. You know, some kids are absolutely model students at school and they're little nightmares at home or vice versa. So a different side of that child can come out whether they're at school at home or at home. So just validate that opinion. Say, that must be really hard. It's yeah. really hard for you to hear that from your daughter that she doesn't want to go to school or it's really hard for you to hear your son upset when he comes home of an afternoon rather than throwing shade on that and saying, well, that's not what we see. That's such an important approach. I find that it's tempting sometimes to be really dismissive mm. because... The, the parents will report back something that a child that they've heard secondhand through their child and they haven't seen what's happening at school so they're they're presenting one point of view uh, but that point of view is really important mm. and I, I find that I've had that a, a challenge in in my career of not being dismissive of that because I have I feel sometimes more oversight of what's happening at school it's easy to dismiss a, a perspective when it comes in like that but it can be a really important way to unpack something. And it's interesting that you used bullying as the example because that's the, that's the one I had in my head. Mm. And it is a really emotive thing for a parent to, to hear from their son or daughter that I've been bullied at school. That's, that's really challenging. So when they come in and talk to you about that, it is important to draw a distinction between bullying and conflict, but I wouldn't go there straight away. Yeah, I, I think step one is probably validating what the experience has been for that child mm. and then working towards that understanding of is it bullying is it conflict what's the best way forward Absolutely. Ra rather than just becoming accusatory yeah for sure and also to say to that parent i don't have all the facts yeah. if you if you don't or if they present something to you that you're not across you're not aware of you don't think it's bullying but instead of saying oh no it's not bullying instead try saying oh, okay i i re appreciate you telling me that that's really important for us to know i'm going to take some time to look into this further because mm. obviously that's really affecting your child yep yeah and, that, and that's when we get back to getting on the same page with the parents and um, having shared goals and shared outcome and focus on the child yeah my my third tip kate is about reframing the way you think about your relationship with parents so changing it from being opponents to being partners yeah and there are parents that I've dealt with in the past that I, I've, I've found myself already framing them in my planning as I'm going to have to deal with this person mm. rather than if I, if I look at how can I work with them to achieve a better outcome for their kid, you always get a better outcome when you do that. And quite often the parents know a lot of really important information about how their child thinks, how their child learns, how they relate and they'll share that more openly if you have a good relationship with them. And some of the, the most challenging kids that I've worked with in my career, I've achieved the best outcomes when I've had a better relationship with parents. Oh, no doubt. I, I think you always achieve better outcomes when you work with the parents. And it's always a breath of fresh air when the parents trust you 
and want to work with you to achieve the same outcomes. But that takes time sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't always just immediately get a parent who's on board and trusts you. You have to work for that relationship. Which brings me to my third point, which would be pick up that phone. Yes. Don't, don't be behind that email all the time. Pick up the phone. Have a conversation with that parent. But importantly, communicate the good. Pick up the phone to say... I noticed that Sarah was really engaged today. She's been a bit distracted lately, so it was really good to see her on task and she really helped me out or whatever it is. I saw that Tom was really improving his writing today. I see that he's working on that. Communicate some of those good positive things when you get the opportunity and do it early in the year. Um, I've worked with teachers who make it their business to contact every single parent in the first two weeks of school let's say Mm. it doesn't take a great deal of time but you pick up that phone you have a five ten minute conversation just to touch base and just to say is there anything you want me to know what i've noticed is and you say something positive and immediately you've set the groundwork to build on the foundation for a really strong partnership Uh, i spoke to a principal recently who who works in a special assistance school and their first two staff days of the year uh, totally dedicated to parents coming in with their kids, mm. meeting the teacher, talking through their learning needs, uh, reviewing the program for the year, so that the parents have uh, a really high level of engagement with what's going to happen at school. Mm. Um, and you know, it, it's that's also a chance then for the the school to set some boundaries to say, you're not going to hear from us every week, or we're not going to email uh, feedback you know, at the end of every afternoon or we're not going to be available on email at nights mm-hmm. and that the school can do that but they, they do it in a, a sort of positive forum. I love what you're saying about giving good news to parents mm-hmm. because it's one of those um, make hay while the sun shines. Yeah, like exactly. you, you build the relationships when the going's good and a lot of parents, if their children are always in trouble, every time that phone rings and it's the school, yeah. they think, oh, what's happened now? <laughs> what's he done or what's she <laughs> no, done? And no. so... It's, it's a really important strategy. It's a really um, positive way to build a relationship with parents. Yeah. And then when you do have to deliver some not-so-positive news, they'll be much more on board to hear you because they know that you see their child and you see the positive traits in their child and you value their child and their welfare is really important to you. So then if you have to say, look, you know, we need to talk about this thing that isn't working so well... They're much, much more on board straight away Yeah, and to hear that. When you've got a child who doesn't necessarily fit into school very well or doesn't work within the expectations of a school very naturally, it's easy to become really emotionally defensive when a school contacts you because what happens is you, you take that as criticism of your parenting and sometimes it's got nothing to do with your parenting. It's, <laughs> a, it's about the innate traits of that child or... Their, their interests or mm. uh, it might be level disability. It, there's lots of reasons, but as a parent, it's, you just naturally, you get your back up as soon as you get <laughs> really defensive when the school calls and you, you take it take what it now? really personally. Yeah, what is it now? What is it now? Yeah. yeah. I always do two things when I call a parent. I, I say who I am and then I go, how are you? Yeah. And I don't say that because, you know, I expect to hear all about their day. I say that to give them time to process who I am because yeah. they could be on the run somewhere, so they process that. And then the next thing I always say is, Tom's fine. Yeah. He's having a great day, <laughs> but I just wanted to talk to you about. 
and you can hear them let out that breath. Yeah. You know, yeah. everything's fine, nothing to worry about. Even if it is a behavioural matter, you yeah, know, the yeah. kid is fine, they're safe and they're fine and that's yep. what a parent needs to know and then you can feel them relax and then away you go. Yeah. So I think we, we've identified some pretty positive things um, with parents there and some practical things. Uh, I think it is also important, Kate, to talk about the snow ploughs and the helicopters. <laughs> so everyone's heard of a helicopter parent, but um, for our listener who doesn't know what that is... Can you describe what a helicopter parent is? Well, the helicopter parents are those parents that hover around constantly and are always, you know, you look, you look around at your classroom door and they're always there. <laughs> so they demand the, that extra level of attention from you. They want to tell you everything about their child. They're worried that you're not servicing their needs and you hear a lot from them. They take a lot of time to, to manage. And, and quite often, in my experience, how that translates in, into the child is often those children have a, a lower level of independence, as has been my observation. It does, but also generally those parents are more highly anxious mm. and stressed, and so that's why they're, they're coming to you for that reassurance. And that often translates to the child. They, that they might either be stressed because their child is stressed or vice versa, you know, it kind of feeds off each other. So to remind yourself that they're, they're coming to me with all these questions and all these issues because they just need the reassurance. Yeah. And that kind of comes back a little bit to what we are talking about in an earlier episode about owning your professionalism and mm. just kind of gently reassuring that parent that, you know, I've got a lot of experience, I know what I'm doing, but that takes time and, again, yeah. you have to win over their trust and build that relationship and then they will trust you and they won't be hovering at your door all the yeah. time once they go, oh, she, you know, Kate's got this. Yeah, it, there is a way to sort of send the helicopters away yeah. that, that maintains the relationship. So what's a snowplough parent? So <laughs> snowplough parent, it's an American term. <laughs> we sometimes call them lawnmower parents. Yeah. But the same idea, it's that they are trying to smooth out every obstacle in that child's way. Um, so that they have a really clear, easy path in life. And, again, completely understandable why parents do that, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, they, they want the best for their, their children. They don't want them to have to suffer. They don't want them ha to have to um, struggle. They often don't want them to have even, you know, a moderate level of challenge. They just want it to be sunshine and roses the whole way. And so getting those parents on board is about educating them about how much those obstacles build that resilience. Totally. And and the kids who the kids the children of snowplow or lawnmower parents, what we what you find there is that their resilience tends to be low and their their tolerance for failure tends to be a lot lower. Mm. So there's a there's a real value in working through that with the parents and and to be really honest. It's such a hard thing to do but to mm. say to to say to a parent I don't know if you realize but the impression I get is that you're trying to remove all the obstacles and challenges from your, your child's path in the school mm. and that's not helpful to them mm. long term. Mm. That's not what life is about. No. And if, if you do that, if you continuously remove those obstacles, once they face a challenge and you're not there to remove it, they'll fall in a heap. Yeah. So you're, you're building those skills and those strategies, that toolbox of strategies, in fact, that they can draw on when they most need them, when things don't go their way. Yeah. I, I surveyed a group of parents at a school recently about what's the number one thing you want for your child to get out of the school, to get out of their school experience. And the, 
the number one thing that came up, the highest prevalence by a long way, was they want them to be happy at school. Mm. So you can see why people think removing the obstacles will achieve that. Yeah. When, when your goal is for your child to be happy. Um, yeah, yeah and, and that's part of the education is about the fact that having the odd bad day or the odd bad experience or having that disappointment, not getting what you want, not winning the race, not getting the top mark, mm. that's normal. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're not happy. And it's about differentiating between having, you know, a happy time, which is all sunshine and roses, but not realistic, mm. and then building those skills to navigate life. Yeah. If your child's happy all the time, I, that's something to worry about. <laughs> no, right. Isn't that a sign of a psychopath? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah, so the, it's, I think it's, it's pretty normal for a, a child to have experiences that are challenging or unhappy, and it's, it's really healthy for them to go through those things in a supportive environment like a school. Exactly, because if they don't go through them, they fear them. Mm. They fear that, oh, I can't not win or I can't have that happen. But once they go through it, they look back and they go, oh, actually, that wasn't so bad. I yeah. survived that. I'm fine. Uh, and that builds. Resilience is this muscle that you build with, with more and more use. So yeah. it's so important. And those snowplow parents just really need you to walk with them and understand where their fear comes from, which, which we do, um, but also to very gently educate them about the importance of the child feeling that they have the independence that they need, that they have the skills they need to survive the ups and downs of, of a normal life. Yeah, yep. No, you're totally right. So, Kate, as the, the last question I'll ask you, and this one, we, we haven't talked about this one in advance, so hmm. I'm going to put you on the spot. Ooh. What about for the teacher who is teaching another teacher's child in their oh. class? Such a great question. I think <laughs> it's it's... It's not a great place to be in terms of the fact that you're so heightened to how you treat that child because yeah. you know that, you know, that, that teacher is going to judge you every step of the way. But like, like I'd advise any teachers for any student, it's about the communication, yeah. you know. And I remember actually many years ago that I was doing that. I was teaching a teacher's child. And I shied away from giving that parent the feedback that mm. really I should have given them. It took me a long time and I finally worked up the courage over a long time to say, actually, Tom's not really en engaging as he should in this lesson and, you know, I just wanted you to know that. And they were like, oh, my gosh, why didn't you tell me sooner? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I was a bit inexperienced at the time. But I would encourage you not to treat that child or that parent any differently yeah. but just to remind yourself that they they want the best for their child and you're not doing them any favors by you know protecting them or trying to yeah. curry favor on this child yeah that's the trick isn't it i've i've had my principal's son in my class <laughs> before and that's always uh challenging at first and until you realize even a principal is a parent like yeah. it's just it's all the same um and you're 100 right you, you have to treat that child exactly like you would any other yeah Absolutely. So there's a few things there for teachers to take away, Kate. And I, I think the, the longer I've been in this game, the more I've uh, really valued the opportunity to interact with parents and how much they can actually help me with my, my students. Absolutely. I often say that any time I have a parent on the phone or in my office, it's a, it's a privilege because I get to influence that family, yep. hopefully in a positive way. So don't think of them as the enemy. Get to know them, put the work in, and you'll see they're generally fabulous to deal with. 
That's right. All right, that's the end for today. Thanks, team. We'll be back soon. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Those Who Can't, brought to you by Summit Education Australia. This episode was recorded in the Hills Podcast Studio, located in the Bella Vista Hotel, and we'd like to thank them for allowing us to use their studio. Join us next time for more of Those Who Can't.